Hello and welcome to Quill Achievers Marcus Uncut podcast, your weekly insight into the topics and issues that we have been discussing here at Quill Achieviet. Remember, so you don't miss future episodes, be sure to hit the follow button on whichever streaming platform you are listening on or by following hashtag QC Weekly Comment on LinkedIn. I'm Andrew Cartwright, investment manager based out of our Birmingham office, and this week I'm delighted to be joined by a regular commentator and head of fixed interest, Richard Carter, and Nick Wood, our head of investment fund research. Welcome, Richard and Nick. So last week was very busy in terms of central bank activity, with the US Federal Reserve and the Bank of England both meeting to discuss interest rates. And the much anticipated outcome of those meetings was that interest rates remained unchanged across the board. And this leaves rates in the UK at five and a quarter percent and five and a quarter to five and a half percent in the US. The US central bank met the week before and they also left at interest rates unchanged at four percent. There were also various other reports released and we saw that unemployment in the Eurozone has increased from six and a half percent from its previous record low. And the US jobs report also showed signs that the labor market is slowing in America. The Eurozone inflation figure for October was also published and came in lower than expected, down to 2.9% from 4.3% in September. So Richard Andrew Bailey, the governor of the Bank of England, had commented back in September that the UK was now much nearer the peak of the interest cycle than before. And in doing so, he was perhaps signaling that the bank was beginning to focus on the risk to the economy if interest rates remained too high for too long. But with interest rates unchanged in October, presumably the latest inflation figures still didn't justify cutting interest rates or indeed increasing them. What did you make of those interest rate decisions? And perhaps just as important, the comments that accompany those announcements, were they in keeping with your own and market expectations? And did any of the other economic reports announced last week stand out as being particularly noteworthy? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. I mean, I think um, last week, you know, you saw actually quite a lot of uh, relief in bond markets on, on the back of what the central bank said and what the um, economic data uh, actually, sh- you know, actually showed us. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I'd characterise it that, you know, we, we, we kind of think central banks are, are, are near the peak in rates and there was plenty of evidence to justify that in the UK uh and Europe over the last, you know, month or so, it's quite clear that the uh, UK and Eurozone economies are slowing. But the, the doubt was a little bit around the US. The US economy, very resilient, you know, um, still very quite strong inflation, still strong labour market. And the concern for markets was that, uh, you know, the Fed wasn't done and would have to keep hiking rates for, you know, at least maybe once or twice more from here. Um, last week gave us a bit of more confidence that that might not be the case. So, you know, particularly the non-farm payrolls report you mentioned on Friday, um, that was pretty soft, you know, signs of unemployment rising. Uh, some of the survey data also a little bit softer at the margin. So I think it was increasing confidence that um, not just the, uh, you know, Bank of England and ECB might be near a peak, but also potentially the Fed's uh, getting there. So, you know, absent a kind of oil shock coming out of the Middle East, um, that should be pretty uh, good for markets. And you certainly saw a, a big relief rally on the back of that last week. In, in last week's uh, podcast, Simon Doherty highlighted that October had proved to be a, a difficult month for investors. And, and that came with the uh, exception of gold uh, and short dated gilts, given their defensive qualities. Uh, we, we did get a bit of an uplift in equity and uh, bond markets last week, and, and notably following the Federal Reserve's interest rate decision. Uh, and the US uh, equity markets had the single biggest uh, day rise for six months, uh, up by nearly 2%. But 
overall, it has been a difficult start for the final quarter of the year and, and perhaps a growing realisation that interest rates are likely to stay higher for longer than she thought. But overall, this has just been a continuation of the underlying trends that we have seen over the past 18 months or so. So, Richard, it's perhaps not that surprising. We are seeing a degree of volatility as, as investment sentiment changes rapidly and ebbs back and forward between optimism and pessimism um, as new data and news flow emerges. So what are your thoughts on the outlook for the various different financial markets that we can invest in for the, for the rest of 2023 and perhaps early next year? Are we simply waiting for inflation to fall to a level that interest rates can finally start to be cut? Or are there any other catalysts that could perhaps at least give investors grounds for optimism? And if not, um, and the outlook is going to be uh, take longer than expected to improve, should investors be retreating to cash where they can now at least get relatively attractive returns? Well, I don't think it's unusual we should that we should have a bit of volatility now. You know, you've had you've had rates go up, you know, very aggressively over the last year or two, uh, and we now seem to be entering a different kind of different kind of narrative, particularly where where people are more talking about okay, yes, higher for longer rates, but uh, an environment where we're not quite sure if central banks are going to keep going or or are done, and there's you know, increasing talk about potential cuts on the horizon. You also, and that, and that you know, that sentiment's going to, you know, flip back and forwards every week, as, it, as we saw last week. And then you've also got the, um, uh, you know, issues in the Middle East, Israel, Palestine, all the rest of it, that, that does concern people and, and could lead to a bit of a, you know, jump in the oil price, as I said. So it's not surprising we're seeing a bit of volatility. I mean, I, I, I mean, I would be reasonably optimistic, though, that, as I say, central banks are pretty much done. Yes, rates may stay higher for longer, um, but there's plenty of evidence on the inflation front and all the rest of it. They don't really need to be doing too much more. So, I mean, I think investors can feel fairly positive as we sort of go into the end of the year about that. You know, we don't want to see a rapid slowing in the US economy, obviously, uh, or in you know, UK and Europe, but a, a little bit of a slowdown in some of the payrolls numbers, you know, that's all good. That that means that the Fed will be, as I say, the Fed can be confident they don't need to raise rates anymore. So I think, um, you know, a little bit of a slowdown, a soft landing in the economy could be good for equities, could be good for bonds as well. So, you know, I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sort of dismiss those potential cash returns you mentioned, 5%. It's, it's very, very attractive, you know, particularly compared to what we had last few years or so. Um, but I think with a sort of gradually slowing economy, rates peaking, then, you know, there's plenty of optimism uh, for investors as we head into the end of the end of the year. I think, um, you know, increasingly the theme next year is going to probably going to be, you know, are we going to see rate cuts and where are we going to get them? Um, but also politics is going to be a big issue, you know, UK elections and the US election at the end of the year. So, yeah, lots to look forward to, but I think for now should be reasonably positive. Thank you, Richard. So, Nick, um you're going to be shortly heading to Asia for a, a research trip. And I understand that you're going to be visiting the main financial centres there. I, I know that Ben Barringer, our technology analyst, uh, also has regular trips overseas and notably to Silicon Valley. Could you tell us a bit more about your plans and, and more generally what these research trips involve and what your team gets out of these uh, site visits? Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Um so uh, overseas research trips, uh, uh, I guess you would say, uh, have been a core part of our research effort um, over the years, whether that's our direct equity team. And, and you mentioned Ben there or, or the fund research team. And, um, you know, for, for, for the fund research team, we've looked to make annual trips to the uh, to, to US and Asia. 
Um, obviously, COVID interrupted that. Um, so, so actually, this is our first trip back to Asia since I went to um, to Tokyo in in November 2019. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to see what what we uh, uh, you know how things have changed. Um, on my agenda this time, so we, we we're heading to Tokyo, to Hong Kong. Uh, and to Singapore, and, and I'm joined by uh, Carly Morehouse, who's our um, Asian Emerging Markets um, uh, analyst. Um, agenda always varies, but uh, for me, what, what we're looking to get out of this is, is firstly, um, it's uh, as you'd expect, a number of visits to uh, to fund managers on site, um, whether that's um, fund managers we own or, or maybe those we want to own. And and when you're on site, it's a, really it's a chance to meet the wider team much more easily. Um, also see managers who perhaps don't come through London so often or, or, or maybe even at this stage, you know, they, they don't necessarily have anything which is actually investable in in use its form. So it's a bit more speculative, um, provides some, some different insights. But, you know, what I've learned o- over sort of many trips over the years is, is uh, you know, sometimes you're meeting a manager um, uh, that, that doesn't have something investable or is it a little bit different and, and down the line actually, you know, uh, we keep a relationship going, and, and, and perhaps it does end up in a, um, uh, in a something that we um, we end up uh, investing in, and it certainly gives us a different perspective. And then, and then, alongside sort of that sort of bread and butter of, of meeting fund managers, um, we, we mix it up with um, meeting with, uh, so for example, local economists, industry participants, um, and also accompanying our fund managers uh, to underlying company meetings. So. We sort of both see the fund managers in action, but we also get a sort of greater understanding um, from from those companies. So I, I suppose, you know, what is the aggregate of that? Well, we're really trying to get a, a rounded picture um, of of the region of the asset class. That you, you simply can't get by sitting in London, or at least not not quite in the same way. So, so for, for example, you know, um, what is life like on the ground in Hong Kong these days? We, we've heard a lot about it, We, you know, China is constantly in the news. Um, we saw some sort of, uh, uh, you know, lots of um, sort of changes in, in, in recent years there. Um, so it'd be really interesting just to find out actually, you know, what, what is life like there. Um, and we also ho- hopefully will come back with some uh, uh, some new investable ideas with the, within the fund space across, um, across Japan, Asia, emerging markets. Nick, that all sounds very exciting. And Asia is certainly one of my favorite holiday destinations. And having visited and traveled around the region extensively, I can understand the appeal from an, uh, an investment perspective. You, you can see the potential for economic growth, and in particular through the emergence and growth of the those affluent middle classes, which is very visible uh, in many Asian countries. But what is intriguing me is your trip to Tokyo. Japan is, of course, a highly advanced country and is the world's fourth largest economy and a member of the G7. But despite that, the economy has been blighted with low growth, low inflation. And in terms of Japanese stock market returns, performance was was very strong in in the post-Second World War period. But having peaked at the very end of the 1980s, this was followed by a downward trend that lasted, whatever, 20 years. And well, whilst I'm not, not old enough to remember the bull market, I do recall that interest in Japan as a, re- a recovery theme would, uh, would would emerge throughout the investment management industry, um, but usually failed to materialize. In fact, this happened so many times during my investment career that I started to refer to Japan as the land of the false dawn rather than the rising sun. Uh, but to be fair, Japanese stock market returns have actually been pretty good since the financial crisis of 2008-2009. 
But the main industries have still not got back to the all-time high levels seen at the uh, end of uh, 1989. And the economy has continued to be characterized by low inflation and low growth. So, Nick, you obviously think that a trip to Japan is worthwhile, otherwise you wouldn't be going. So what is what is the sort of current thinking about Japan from, a, from an investment perspective? Yeah, uh, uh, thanks. Uh, I, I, I have to agree with you. And having spent probably about 20 years of my investment career, at least uh, looking at Japan, uh, it's um, it's not it's not always been uh, the, uh, the first port of call for uh, uh, for investment managers like you to uh, to, to call me up. But uh, I've always found it interesting. Um, I always remind people that the, the amazing statistic that Japan was, uh, I think, 44 percent of MSCI world back in around about 1989, just at the peak of the uh, what's clearly a bubble. But uh, amazing when you, you compare to today. Um, but sort of maybe just taking. A, a look at the last de- decade. I mean, it's definitely been disappointing for UK investors, and uh, um, this this year certainly been better. But I, I think an important point to note is uh, actually earnings growth over the last decade in Japan has actually been pretty strong. It's not. It's actually not been too far off what you've seen in the US. Um, given you know, depending on what time period you take, what hasn't happened in Japan has been the re-rating of stocks in the in the uh, in the, in the way that um, you've seen in the US. Um, plus, if you're a UK investor, um, you've had the depreciation of the yen, and, and so that's impacted your your sterling return. So, so completely agree. Um, full storms, uh, full storm is is probably the uh, the phrase that um, you know is, is most used, and, and plenty of scepticism, I'd say. So, what's interesting about uh, Japan today? Well, it's it's certainly had a um, uh, a good year so far. As I say, not, not, not so much if you're a UK investor, but still, you know, it's been a it's been a strong performer um i think looking forward there are a number of things to consider so the first one is yen weakness um as i say that that's impacted your your sterling return but the yen is really at quite an extreme today and and there are different ways of measuring this but um uh if you take the sort of purchasing power parity or or maybe even the 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 good old sort of big mac index um we're at multi-decade lows today so you know, whenever we're talking about something that uh, is at multi-decade lows, you know, there is there is that possibility of, of uh, seeing uh, the reversal. And, uh, and and of course, the differential in bond yields globally uh, has been the key driver here. Um, and so, you know, we're sort of better uh, it, it's a, in some respects, you know, we're, we're looking at the, um, uh, the Bank of Japan and when it might um, uh, sort of continue to change its its policy. And, and that's certainly something that is, is very difficult to uh, uh, predict. Um, but I think we're, lo- you know, we're looking at the long-term opportunity here, this, the structural opportunity. Um, now, I, I, I'm sure sort of some of your listeners might point out, well, um, uh, yen strength often uh, coincides with, um, uh, can coincide with, with market weakness and, and that's primarily the exporters. So some of the largest um, uh, Japanese companies are, are large exporters and, and there's a clear correlation there. But, so from our point of view, just thinking about, you know, how you might, um, you know, how you might invest, how you might bias more towards the sort of domestic um, part of the Japan story is, is, is um, sort of clearly something we're thinking about. Um, another significant uh, impact today, corporate governance. Now, we've been talking about corporate governance improvements in Japan for, again, for, for a decade since, since uh, um, uh, Abe took power in, in 2012. But Again, big move forward this year in terms of proposals from the Tokyo Stock Exchange that, that, that are um, 
requiring companies to, to come out with proposals that, uh, if, if they're sat on a, a very low valuation or a very low price to book or if their uh, return on equity is very low, how are they, what proposals are they going to put forward to the market to, uh, to, to address this? And um, it's very interesting when you hear um, uh, investors, uh, fund investors of all styles, whether it's sort of the uh, deep value managers or, or those looking for the highest growth companies, all really pointing to this as, as being a significant driver. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to, to, um, uh, to meet the, the, um, uh, the CEO of the London Stock Exchange. And, and it was interesting to hear that they, since they brought to put this, these proposals forward, um, they, they, they had a, a lot of communication from companies who were sort of, you know, looking to see exactly what, what they might need to do. So I, I do think that is a, a real driver. Um, and then, you know, inflation, that's moving up in Japan. It's been, you know, uh, around about zero. Uh, you know, we've seen some deflation in Japan over time and uh, for about the last 30 years. But, you know, Japan is arguably a part of the world that where inflation is a positive. I don't think we can really say that about many other regions. But, um, you know, aiming for the 2% as the Bank of Japan has been for a long period, you know, that we're above that at the moment. I think that's just really about ungumming. Uh, the economy. It's about it's about making corporates who have huge cash balances or, or, or individuals who are holding cash, which has been absolutely the right thing to do, to think about how they might use that better. So all of these things, I think, are, are, are long term sort of structural drivers. And, and, you know, with that, we've seen interest from activists. We've seen private equity. We've seen M&A. So there are lots of things at, at the margin. So let's bring this all back to the trip to Tokyo. I, so I was there in 2019. So, you know, interesting to see how things have changed. Um, but I'm looking forward to hearing from, you know, fund managers on the ground. Um, we're meeting some underlying companies um, with a couple of our fund managers. Uh, and I'm also meeting with, with, with um, a couple of individuals who are very sort of focused on on, on, on that co- corporate governance um, story and, and really just trying to try understand if this is a, a sort of a real shift um, and, and, and what the impact of the changes are there. So, you know, lots, lots, to, um, lots to take in we, um, and, and, you know, looking forward to coming back and sort of sharing some of those insights uh, internally and, and with our clients. Great. Thank you, Nick. It, it sounds like it, it could be time for me to rethink my, my views and perceptions of Japan, and, and I certainly look forward to uh, hearing about uh, your your trip to Asia in, in due course. So thank you to Richard and Nick for those great insights and to you all for listening. Did you enjoy our discussion on the podcast today? we love to hear from our listeners, so please review the show wherever you're listening and share it on your socials and tag us at Could Achieve It. To make sure you don't miss a future episode, tap the subscribe button. We'll be back next week. And in the meantime, head over to our website, www.quillachieviot.com, where you can read the accompanying market overview as well as subscribe to our weekly comment newsletter. You can also stay up to date with our thoughts on market views, industry insights, and our upcoming events and webinars on our website or our social media pages. Finally, if you have any questions you'd like to ask one of our experts for our next podcast, then simply ask them via the weekly weekly comments page on our website. We love to hear your questions. And that's it for today. So thank you again to Richard and Nick for the time and to you all for listening. See you next time.